Alright, so here's the situation. Toronto Maple Leafs have lost five in a row. Their goaltending is abhorrent. They have a four-point lead on the Winnipeg Jets atop the North Division, but now the Jets have a game in hand, and they lock horns tonight. Maybe uh, with uh, Nick Foligno for the first time in a Maple Leafs uniform. Let's talk Every to... Every once in a while, what? you're like, I worked on the Sportsnet Central desk, and I did updates for a long time, this comes out, where you say things like that. And they lock horns tonight. That's you. That's Sportsnet oh. Connected with Ben Ennis. Locking tonight. horns tonight. Yeah. yeah. Just talk know. like a normal guy. This is a radio they show. You're not the on the ice. desk. They play hockey. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I, I, I say that yeah. in conversation, though, as well. All right. David no, Amber is going no, to don't. make me no, feel you better don't. about Who, myself. You, you would go up to Amber. a friend and say, hey, man, uh, Leafs Jets, locking horns locking tonight, horns. huh? No. No. Amber, do they lock horns or not? Oh, JD's grinding you. It's early in the morning to be grinding your partner Buddy, yeah. like this, JD. What kind of teammate are you? I, Do you listen to this show? Like, I mean, this is yeah, all it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grinding, DA exposing grinding. himself as a guy who's never listened. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, wait, how long have you guys been buddy. on this radio show? How long have you guys had this show for? <laughs> how long has it been? I'm bad with time. Two years? I'm, I'm not three. Well, no, three years now. Not three. I think we've been doing this for three years. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's why. You grind, you grind Ben quite a bit. I do notice oh, yeah. that. That's oh, and it was happening it. before we had a show. It happens outside of the confines of the three-hour radio program. It, it happens nonstop. Yeah. I literally, Ben found out he was getting vaccinated uh, when, or at, at some point coming up here because he's 40. And I called him to make fun of him for being afraid for like 20 minutes right after the show. <laughs> so, yeah, I grind the guy. <laughs> Well, good for you. I, I got vaccinated on Monday. Congrats, buddy. Attaboy. How you feeling? Yeah. Feeling strong? Strong I feel like great. Me? I feel great. Honestly, it's a, it's a sense of relief. Like, thank goodness we're, we're finally heading in the right direction, right? It feel, it's starting to feel a little bit like we're, we're heading in the right direction. We'll see. Mm-hmm. All right. So the, the horn locking tonight. Mm-hmm. I yeah. set it up. <laughs> yeah. you, did. you know what? I, that was as grim... I, that was as grim a, a, a setup, a forecast for a, a team that's in first place and has been in first place in the division in the, for the last, whatever, seemingly two months that I've heard. However, it was pretty accurate. Um, you know, what, what caught my eye was or ear was after the loss on Tuesday, you know, Sheldon Keefe was asked point blank, you know, about your situation. And he said, I'm concerned about our goaltending. And that's the most candid we've heard Sheldon Keefe in his, in his tenure as the Leafs head coach. Uh, you know, it was a miserable game in third period for David Riddick. And you know what? It, it, it's funny because at the start of the year, Freddie Anderson was hot, and then Jack Campbell was, you know, perfect, 11-0. and And seemingly the Leafs had solved their non never-ending goaltending issue. But now you look at it and you kind of say, we don't know. There's this Freddie Anderson's injury is shrouded in mystery. We don't know the status. We don't know what's going on. We don't even clearly know the exact nature of the injury. Uh, that's a concern. Jack Campbell, you know, they couldn't start on both Sunday and Tuesday. You have to say to yourself, why is that? You know, why, you know, these are important games for the Leafs. As you mentioned, the Jets are nipping at their heels. You know, you would think Jack Campbell would have got the start on Tuesday, but they didn't. Instead, they're going to play Jack Campbell tonight. So you wonder about, you know, his ability to play out a stretch of games if they need that. And David Riddick clearly, you know, Calgary let him go for a reason. And, so it is a big question mark going into what's a pivotal two games now against the Jets starting tonight. So a lot of this show is me giving Ben a hard time 
Mm-hmm. A lot of the show is just me walking back takes, you know, <laughs> like having a strong opinion, and then yeah. three days later going, I regret everything about that opinion. <laughs> I apologize, and I would like to amend this opinion. My take was about a week ago that nothing matters. I went on the air Friday with Outben. And I laid out the case that if you're freaking out about the Leafs right now, you're wasting your energy because this regular season is done. They've already proven that at their best, they're the most competent team. They're the most loaded team top to bottom. And that they beat up on all these other groups when they play their best brand of hockey. And now all of a sudden... They've gone into this lull where, yeah, the goaltending's been bad, but the team also hasn't looked as well as you'd hope, even though there's been some nights where there's the Braden Holpe night, right, where they're snake bit, they got the expected goals for, they clearly play better, they just lose. But even still, you want to see them overcome that because that's the archetype to beat them in the playoffs is a hot, hot goalie, and yours is not very good. So you got to find ways to overcome it. In a weird way, those reps almost feel more important. I'm kind of back to tonight matters. Ben said going into the break that this is the most important game of the season. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. We, we've oh, done that like important. 80 times. I know. And there's only been 45 games. We've done it 80 times. It's been quite a thing. But where are you just at with importance of this matchup, importance of this next couple of games, importance of trying to lock up that one seed and, and kind of get back to who you are? Yeah, it's important. And I would even put it all on wins and losses. I know it's a results oriented, you know, it's all about results in the National Hockey League, but I wouldn't put it all on if the Leafs win or lose. It's how the game is played out. Who dictates the pace? How do their special teams look? If they have a third period lead, can they hold the lead? I mean, that's the, these are the disturbing trends, right? When you're first in the league in the power play over the first 27 games, and then over the next 18 games, you go two for 46, right? And you've got some of the highest high-end skilled players there are in the league and that's what's happening on your special teams that's a concern when you play against the vancouver team that was ravaged by covid in back-to-back games you have third period leagues you can't hold on to those are the sorts of trends that concern you when you're gearing up towards the playoffs you want to be peaking right you want to be playing your best hockey and your style of hockey and, and dictating that when you play your best hockey you don't care who you're matched up against that's what the Leafs need to do reset that get that swagger back get that looseness that feeling they feel a little bit tight right now and I think that's what the concern is JD to me it's not so much that they go out and blow the wheels off of, of Winnipeg and, and you're right this this offensive juggernaut hasn't been that I mean as much as we want to point fingers at David Riddick and everyone else they've scored all of 11 goals in five games they have not gone out there and put up four goals, five goals, not giving them the cushion so that a David Riddick can have a soft goal go in or there can be a mistake defensively, there can be a breakdown. They didn't afford themselves that kind of ability, right? So it's, it's really about reestablishing who they are and that they are the team to beat in the North. And I still believe they are. Um, but I do think there's some trends right now that if you're Sheldon Keith, you're probably going, we need to, to change the, this, the course of this team and change it in a hurry. I get it. There's other things, you're right, over these five games that aren't the goaltending but it's mostly the goaltending like what are we talking about it, 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 like when David Riddick's allowing goals from the half wall like what are, we, what are you supposed to do I get it the, through 40 minutes they weren't dominant but to start that third period I thought they were outplaying the Canucks and certainly the Holtby game they were outplaying that team basically for the full 60 minutes yeah, yeah but it's the Vancouver Canucks who have been on uh, like who have not played in uh, weeks so uh, how are you supposed to give them that much credit for looking better than them? It's like, yeah, no duh. They're the team that's outside of the right. playoffs with no guys who are all, uh, all sick. 
you well, outplayed them. Hooray, hurrah. Well, yeah, and you had a lead, and you would have won that game if you Did you really even... think they looked awesome in those games? No, I didn't think they looked awesome. Yeah. I thought they looked pretty damn good in the first one. In the second game, they looked... I think Elliot Friedman actually had the correct take in that intermission, talking about, hey, this is kind of a pretty evenly played game between these two teams after the Canucks got their feet under them in that, in that first game after the return from the COVID thing. But just... Where are you with the goaltending? Because, like, obviously David Riddick is a break glass in case of absolute total emergency. And, and, and talk about takes that we have had and then have walked back and then changed our minds a thousand times. Like, the Jack Campbell thing is the epitome of that with this team, David. And it's maybe unlikely we get to see Frederick Anderson at all during the regular season. Is there still an evaluation of Jack Campbell and his ability to start game one of a, of a postseason series, or should should the Maple Leafs already have their mind made up? Well, for, first, let's put a bow on Riddick. What, what did J.D. tweet out, that he's the Jack uh, Michael Hutchinson or something, right. which is just so Dude, cool. they're like the so exact many, same like, size? Just dropping but that's bombs it. on everyone. Um, that, that's a great question. Listen, Jack Campbell's 29 years old. Right, he was a first-round draft pick. I don't know if you read the article James Myrtle wrote in the Athletic about him. It was it was it was about all about the sort of circuitous route it took for Jack Campbell from a, a young kid growing up uh, to a first-round draft pick, going through um, the Kings organization, etc., and getting or I think Dallas and the Kings, and then getting here to Toronto. And it was very interesting. This guy's put a ton of pressure on himself, and almost to a detriment. And I guess the concern I had about Jack Campbell was after he went 11 and 0 he lost the next game and then he lost the following game and if you remember how hard he was on himself he basically keeps the whole loss on himself and you know from what i understand and you talk to guys like Kelly Rudy the best goalies are the ones who can shake that off and not remember they have a short memory just like the best closers in baseball right they just don't dwell on the on the negative stuff and that's how it gets them through it and I worry that he's putting such great pressure on himself. Is you know, if you get into a playoff series and and he's your number and he's your starting game one, and the Leafs lose, right? Is he gonna just? Is he gonna implode? Like that's where I'd be concerned. I really hope psychologically his psyche doesn't get shattered too much because he seems to put such great pressure on himself, guys. Uh, but from a physical standpoint, that's the other question mark. We just haven't seen Jack Campbell. He came into the season, guys, in all of his NHL careers. He's played, he had started 56 games in his career, right? Right. That's, that's not all. He, you know, he'd been in the net in, in L.A. when Jonathan Quick would start 68 games, and he'd start the rest. Like it, he just hasn't been heaped into that into that role of being the guy night in, night out. I'm not saying physically or mentally he can't do it, but it hasn't been, you know, showing that you necessarily can ride this guy. Um, out for, for two and three playoff rounds. So, you know, it's yet to be shown. By all accounts, he's a great guy. We've seen that he can be a fantastic goaltender, too, and I think he's a very good goalie. Uh, but I think if, you know, in the least executives' minds, they'd love to have the option of, okay, Freddie's good to go, and we have Jack Campbell there ready and waiting, um, which would be the perfect scenario because we've seen it's taken more than one goalie to win Stanley Cups a number of times, whether it was Murray and Flurry or whether it was... Um, you know, Grubauer started before Holtby with the Caps. We've seen it time and time again. I think the Leafs would love to go in with that combo into the postseason. Yeah, and I saw a great take actually on Twitter that they view the goaltending situation in the postseason like you view pitchers in a Game 7 of a playoff series where normally in the regular season, like your pitcher loads the bases with none out in the first inning. Yeah, he's got to grind through that. you got to get him through three, four, five innings. 
But mm-hmm. in Game 7, it's like, first hint of trouble, that guy's out of there. If yeah. you get a couple of, of periods and Jack Campbell's starting Game 1 and it doesn't look good, like it, I just feel like it's going to be a quick hook for whoever it is starting Game 1 of that postseason series. Listen, the margins are going to be short. Uh, the pressure is immense. The, in, the intensity of, of whatever the matchup is. And it's funny because we don't know. People are saying, oh, my God, the Jets might take over first in the division. That might actually serve the Leafs well. I mean, quite frankly, you know, it all depends on who you feel they match up better against. They've had a very good matchup so far this year with Edmonton. If Winnipeg were to overtake them and take first in the division, maybe it'd be least Edmonton first round. I'm not saying you want a date with McDavid and Dreisaitl, but certainly uh, this year they have had the better in that matchup, and maybe that's something that wouldn't be the worst-case scenario for Toronto. Um, but you're right. I, I think there'd be a, a very short hook, and I think you want to have two guys that you trust and you feel comfortable with, and that's, you know, we got to wait on Freddie Anderson's health, and we got to wait to see how Jack Campbell can perform down the stretch as well. Um, you mentioned McDavid. Do you know what yeah. the, the, the extrapolated numbers are? It's stupid. 140 points over an 82-game season, 45 goals would be the most since Mario in 93 if he got to 140 points. Obviously, there's a caveat of he gets to play in this division. Uh, mm. It's incredible. He still has an outside chance at 100 points in in this shortened season. I, it's, it's incredible to watch, and I love watching it, but there is a sense of, man, I, I really wish we had seen the kind of historic numbers he could have put up over 82. Next year, baby. We just got to hope and pray uh, the NHL uh, GMs and Board of Governors and everyone's been meeting and their hope, of course, is to get a regular time schedule next year. It's all, of course, uh, pandemic pending. But, uh, yeah, I, I Connor McDavid is special, and I've said this for a while. Like I, I just hope fans and all of us, we've been really um, treated and privileged this year to have these Canadian-Canadian matchups. So it's not that McDavid's getting buried out in Anaheim on a on a certain night. You've had the opportunity to watch night in, night out Connor McDavid. This guy's a generational player. Just like Austin Matthews appears to be a generational scorer. So I just hope, you know, it's hard when we're right in the middle of it, but, you know, sometimes it takes getting a few years into their into their careers and people say, wow, we're, we're actually watching something really special. Because he's making it look easy, too. You know, I'm watching the game last night and Montreal hasn't pinned down, Montreal hasn't pinned down. Then you look at the end of the night, McDavid, a goal and two assists, right? Like, it, this, is the, this is what we're seeing. He's just, he's a, a, a world-class athlete and one of the great generational hockey players. And, um, you know, it won't shock me if he starts, you know, he's one of those guys who hits the 140, 150 points in an 82-game season in the, in the next year or two. That wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me either, but I do have a bit of fear with these numbers without all of them that we'll look at them a little differently and we'll be doing radio shows where we discuss this season a little differently if next year it's you know and not I think he'll score 100 points obviously but if the point totals come down drastically for him we're gonna say woof maybe this was a little bit worse than we thought I just I still can't believe that the NHL would ever go away from these divisions after one year I get it we're People are probably sick of it now because they've played each other and it hasn't been as competitive as we thought. But once you can play other teams, the idea that you would still want to engage Canadian fans with Connor McDavid and have it all over instead of wasting them away in games against the Ducks and Sharks, mm. and like, ugh, I, I just can't believe that they would do that. And you know to not do it with fans in the stands is, is to me, the most... It, if they do that, if they go away from these divisions next year, uh, I actually think that it's one of the worst decisions that the NHL's ever made and that it's actually going to have massive repercussions for the rest like the rest of the league, for the rest of its history. 
Well, I mean, and I'm, I know you know this, like Commissioner Bettman has said, they're going to go back to the traditional divisions. And, and I get it from I, I get it from a number of standpoints. Um, you know, obviously the travel. Like Vancouver doesn't play any games in their own time zone except when they play at home. I'm not sure the Canucks would want to have this Canadian set up when they can stay in California and, and Arizona, et cetera, for a large bulk of their schedule. But what I do hope they do is they, they minimize some of the non-traditional matchups and they augment the amount of, of, of great rivalry matchups. So instead of saying Edmonton-Toronto twice a year, you say Edmonton-Toronto four times a year, and what you do is you sacrifice a, a Toronto-Columbus game, right? Or you sacrifice a Toronto-Carolina game to get those extra Canadian rivalries in, and you do that with every team. So you find what they're best, you know, for Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Well, they're in the same division, that's different. But you find those other great matchups that you can somehow make work, Right. And even if they're not in the same division, like Detroit and Colorado, and I know that was matchup many years ago or rivalry many years, you find those those types of other historical rivalries, and you find a way to augment the amount of games. So it's not just twice a year. I think that would be maybe the, the great compromise there. I just yeah. think sometimes those guys running the league don't even know their own sport. They don't know their own fans. Mm. Well, possibly not. Um, <laughs> DA, yeah. DA, thanks, thanks as always, buddy. Talk soon. See you, dude. I see you well. Take care. You too, man. That's it. I, I like that idea, and that's what they did in baseball, right, with the interleague play a little bit. They threw in the rivalry stuff. The problem is, and it's it's even a problem in baseball where it's mitigated by the huge sample of games that you play, 162. Yeah. But if you're competing for a playoff spot with the teams in your division and playing different schedules, I don't I don't know if that works either. Like, that's tough. And it probably is helpful if you're the Leafs and it's like, oh, you get to play more Canadian teams when the Canadian teams are bad. But, yeah, how do the other teams in your division yeah. feel about that? How does the Tampa and the Bostons feel about that? It's like the Leafs get to play extra games against the teams that aren't good? What's that about? It's a regional sport. Nobody cares about the National Hockey League. Nobody. Except for Jeff Merrick. It's like Jeff Merrick, there's those Jeff Merricks out there who are like, I want to watch the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Red Wings and all, blah, 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 blah. The rest of us just want to see the local team. Mm-hmm. And then we want to see the superstars and we want to watch the high event, big money games. But there's, it's too competitive in a, a, a sports landscape for people to pretend like it's hockey the way that it used to be in this country. Mm-hmm. It's just not. Yep. And so to live in this reality where that's what it's for is to get back to being this national. It's not. It's because they want to make sure that Canadian revenue is coming through American teams. It's not travel. It's not schedule. It's not any of those things. It's to make sure that the Anaheim Ducks get more tickets in the Honda Center. And that's the way that the, that's the, way the league wants to run it. And that's the way that we keep accepting it. And it sucks because Canada carries this league. It does. Jets, most important game of the season to date. Four points separating these two atop the North Division. 700th time this season that they've played. Locking horns, as you say. Horns are going to be locked tonight. You locked them up. The horns are locked, buddy. Two Rams Uh coming at each other. And then they try and pull away, but they can't. The horns are locked. And if you could see, I'm doing... Kind of a pantomime of it. No one can. I know you, you went with that bit a little too long. <laughs> <laughs> all, right. Uh, all right. Let's bring in our next guest.
RJ Umberger, uh, former NHL forward, former teammate of Nick Felino, who might make his uh, Leafs debut tonight. RJ, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Did you ever think you would do a show where you were introduced as Nick Felino's former teammate? Uh, the first for everything, for sure. <laughs> Man, we're excited, though, because he's really uh, – so we've spoken with Nick a few times. We know pretty much what kind of a guy he is from basically everybody, just uh, someone like you willing to come on and do this, where you're like, yeah, I'll talk about Nick Felino, And everybody seems to be like, yeah, this is the perfect guy, perfect fit for the room. But, yeah, do you think that – there's going to be any kind of a difficult transition for a guy who's been a captain, who's been with another team, who played in a playoff series against the Leafs as early as last year, who's had to go through this quarantine. Like, do you have any level of concern about this guy meshing in with a new room? Uh, zero. Absolutely none at all. I mean, Nick uh, is everything you just said. He's the uh, true pro. He's um, probably one of the, probably the best locker room guy I've ever on teammate with in the NHL and that says a lot because there's been a lot of great guys but um, Nick is um, he's going to be a great addition to that team um, on the ice and in the locker room provides a ton of leadership and just a um, a great human he's just a guy that you love being around he's infectious with uh, his personality and how much joy and fun he brings to the rink every day is he someone who is outgoing and open basically right away? Like, at this point of his career, I'm sure it was a little bit different than when you first had him come to Columbus, where he was like a younger guy. Now he's more established. He's been a captain. But do you think he's more of just kind of like a sit-back-and-wait guy, start to pick your spots? Or is he more of a he shows up and it's like a Joe Thornton thing where the presence is immediate? Well, you know, I think Nick's a very smart guy and, you know, he's been around for so long, so he's not going to come in and, and, you know, overtake anybody or overstep his boundaries. He He's the perfect guy that, um, you know, he's not shy in, in anything. He's going to be outgoing with, with the guys and be teammates and friends immediately first. And, you know, he'll provide uh, just additional leadership to the, the, the leadership that's already in the locker room and um, just another guy to add to that mix. Um you know he's a perfect guy for it like i said he um he gets everything he he knows what it takes um you know he he's not going to be a guy like i said that will just come in and 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 think that he has to be his way or whatever he'll he'll be there for assist and um you know nothing but positive things for that locker room for sure so that's a bold statement that you just made man which is hey one of the best guys if not one of the best guys in the room that you've ever played with because yeah you had a a really good career you were not just a one and done a two and done guy so i i guess what i wonder is you know those traits those qualities that make him that way you would just kind of describe as what like is there is there a story that you have that kind of is able to illustrate that in some way well, I mean, gosh, I mean, that was a while ago when we played together, but it's just the overall general makeup of him, um, the whole collection of everything he does. Uh, we sat next to each other in the locker room in Columbus, so, you know, we, we shared a lot, we talked a lot, and, you know, Nick was a little bit younger then. I mean, he was new to the team, and, but he, he just quickly, quickly, you know, molded into and, and constantly just kept showing that he had the leadership qualities and, and when I left Columbus, I knew no doubt that he was the guy that was, you know, going to be a captain. And look, he's done a, he's done a great job there. I mean, they've come a long way. They've built a culture there um, over the last five, six years. That's, you know, way different than what's been in the past. And um, he's a huge, huge part of that. And 
Um, he, he's took on a lot. He's embedded himself in the community. Um, he's, a, he's gone through a lot as a family with his, uh, his young daughter. And I mean, he's dedicated so much to the community and, and given back. And, but that's, this comes natural to him. That's the type of player he is. Um, you know, he's just, like I said, like he, there's some guys that just get it. And some guys you can tell right away. And, you know, he knows when that moment is that like, look, you know, he'll pick you up. He'll have a laugh with you. But he also knows like when it's like, Hey, the team needs this. Like we need to be stern. We need to be accountable. We need to, you know, hold each other to a higher standard. And he just, uh, he presses the right buttons at the right times for sure. So maybe you could explain a little bit too about what that means to a team, because we discussed this a lot on our show, how analytics have been great and looking at numbers and spreadsheets is fine. And it's just more data and it's more information, right? But there's a large swath of, fan bases now that sort of look at these things in they say well you'd rather have this because of x and that they try to make things binary whereas someone with felino we've been trying to make this case sort of that and even the leafs have made it when kyle dubas has spoken publicly he has said hey we knew that this was someone who was going to mesh immediately with our room this was someone who was fitting what we wanted to do off on and off the ice. And this is not to diminish him as a player because I think he's still a very effective player. He can do everything for you. But how much does it matter just having those kind of guys in a room, especially in a season where, yeah, the Leafs are trying to win a cup, man. And you can't really say that about this team, uh, like basically my entire lifetime. Uh, Basically, (laughs) since there's a salary cap, it's been like, oh, the Leafs, they're huge losers. And if you're going to buy any stock and belief in this, it's going to absolutely crush you. There's real hope. There's real optimism. And they really do seem to have a, 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 a group here, a special kind of group here. Just having that kind of a dynamic not messed with in a season like this where, yeah, you do bring in a guy that, that has those qualities that you mentioned. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing, too, that you add to it is the on-ice part of it. You know, Nick is a guy that plays the game in a very respectable way. He'll be the first person to stick out for any player on that team. He's, he plays hard. He'll hit. He, you know, he's strong on the puck. Um, he does the things. He'll block shots. He'll play on a fourth-line role just as happily as he would on a first-line role. You know, he'll kill a penalty um, before going on power play. Like, those are the types of things, the quality that he has that when a guy plays that type of way and he brings that night in and night out, um, you know, and then when he does speak in the locker room and, and have that leadership qualities in, in the locker room, you you gravitate and listen to a guy like that because he's out there doing everything that you you want your leader to do so um you know for when you talk about a playoff situation and and you know adding a guy at Nick's character that will like i said he'll he'll go in there and he'll hit and he'll forecheck and he'll hold on to the puck his puck possession skills are you know when i play with him and, and i'm imagining i mean he's still doing a great job is he holds on to the puck really well and um he can he can adjust to whoever he's playing with he can his game molds to no matter left wing right wing center i mean he's very versatile and is it's at this type of point in the season i think it's very hard to to get a guy that has the qualities that he brings to a lineup you know he may not end up on a score sheet a lot of nights right now because of the talent they already have because of the role he's put in i, I don't know what that will be but he will have a, a impact in that game every night talking to rj umberger former nhl forward former 
teammate of uh, Nick Foligno, and and this is called leading the witness, and you're not really supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, I want you to admit it that in a, in a in a moment, you know, you you and Nick to yourselves, Nick leaned over to you and said, you know what? One day before this is all done. I would really love to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, my dad's yeah. team. You guys all say it. You guys all yeah. say it. You're like, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. It Even would be you, so an American great. from what Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't you matter. To do it you too. know. Yeah, you know. Right? Hey. hey, I almost did play for the Leafs one time. It was uh, a long time ago. But um, back when I signed with Philly early in my career, I, I was I was down between Toronto and Philly, like real serious and, 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 almost, uh, and almost signed there. So um, a lot of respect for the Toronto organization and, and that city. I mean, look, that's. That's hockey, right? I grew up playing uh, in Pittsburgh, but I played a lot, a lot of hockey tournaments in in, in Toronto and, and loved every second there. So, um, you know, look, you want to you want to win a Stanley Cup? I, I I don't think there's a better place to go do it than Toronto. Hey, buddy, guess what? Uh, you know, we remember every single trade rumor that's ever happened, right? So we're aware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's the most popular thing. It's almost as popular as watching the games as having the rumors and when it gets leaked out. And I very, very much remember. So what, what did it come down to? Was it just dollars and cents? Was it like that simple? No, no, it had nothing to do with that because actually it was a rookie contract. So they were, they were identical contracts. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like I met with both GMs at that time. It was it was a long ago. I was you know twenty twenty three twenty four years old. It was uh, just a gut feeling I had. Um, you know I, I don't know what it was. It's just uh, one of those things. I woke up the next day and, and I just felt like Philly um, was it. I don't know. Couldn't couldn't give you an exact reason. <laughs> yeah, and you're a, a Pittsburgh guy, like you said. I mean, and you chose the rival team. I mean, in your home I state. Know. I know, I know. I don't know. It was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a tough decision. Let me say that uh, a lot of uh, friends and family were had a tough time. Me uh, playing in Philly, you know, it was obviously Penguin fans growing up and everything. So, but it was fun. Like that rivalry was that was that was awesome. There were intense games, and you know, those are, are fun moments to play in. You could have played with uh, Jason Allison. You blew it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of good guys that could have played with in Toronto. That's <laughs> yeah. that time. Hey, man, this was really great. Uh, we enjoyed it. Thanks so much for doing it. Uh, you're a good guy for doing it. We appreciate it. Yeah, no, like you said, talking about Nick's easy, you know, I wish him best of luck and, and the team best of luck. I'll be watching. I know I exchanged uh, texts with him before he left. Uh, he's, uh, he's going there. He wants to win a cup, and that's what it's about. So he's, he's excited. So are we, uh, and hopefully we get to see him tonight. Thanks, RJ. Yeah, thank you. R.J. Umberger, former NHL forward, could have been a Toronto Maple Leaf. Ohio State guy, I think. That's it. This reminds me a lot of T.J. Brody. This just reminds me a lot of the emphasis of this team and the evolution of Kyle Dubas. And we've done this already, but when you asked around about T.J. Brody... It was unanimous. This guy is one of the best teammates I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And I think they're different kind of guys, but the emphasis of this year was clear. Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, TJ Brody, and they never deviated from that come deadline time. They said, this still matters to us. And I loved a couple things he said there. One is, 
that's the thing about Nick Foligno is that it's not just like he's a good guy in the room. It's not just like a good. It's like he's a great guy. That he's elite at this. That he is an elite guy in the room who is not going to step on toes and who is not going to mess with any of the vibe, but who is only going to build off of it. Who can clearly understand how to pick his spots, when to speak up, when to be a part of something, and is going to do the other things, which he said, which is play in any situation and be flexible with whatever this team needs. How would it have gone if this team had gotten Taylor Hall and he was not playing as well as Alex Galchenyuk, which is a possibility at this point, right? Mm -hmm. How would that have gone? Where else are you going to put him? Could you have put Taylor Hall down in your third line if it wasn't working out? Maybe not. Uh, especially. What do you mean, maybe not? <laughs> one thousand billion percent not. Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about Nick Foligno is that it doesn't matter. Whatever this team asks that guy to do, you know he's going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know if it's going to be the third line, it's the fourth line, if it's eight minutes for the night, if it's 17 minutes a night. That's why it's been so fun having these conversations about Felino. is that nobody knows because he's going to be 100% down with whatever it's going to be. That this guy's coming here to win a Stanley Cup. That there's urgency in his career. That he has been a leader. That he has been a winner. Like, I, I don't know how else to put this. This should be one of the most exciting trade acquisitions the Leafs have ever had. Straight up. Straight up. It's seamless. It's flawless. And it's an excellent trade. And nothing can convince me otherwise. And that's the other part. Things outside of the score sheet. If this guy doesn't produce and he doesn't score goals, which is what how many so many people have tried to measure him by, again, even though he scored more goals than Taylor Hall. And at this point, I don't even know how much I'm strawmanning. But that impact will happen night in, night out. You're going to notice this guy. This guy is going to be someone where you say, wow, he made how many... It, when we do the winning plays chart, right? And someone like Bourne will tell you this, that when they're watching the tape and they're breaking this thing down afterwards, they're not just looking for who finished the goal. It's not the highlights. You're going to notice him throughout these games. And I noticed, I know you noticed as well, the lack of Zach Hyman already, how it was, oh my God, at least this guy is going to bring some of that. At least this guy is going to get in on the forecheck routinely, battle in front of the net, play very, very hard-nosed hockey, and make an impact with his team. He's going to be loved. He is going to be loved by this market, especially if they win. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this whole team will be etched in history if they win. But yes, Mm -hmm. he is already, I think, talked about in those tones among people who are not already Mm -hmm. stuck in their analytics. Taylor Hall was the right choice camp. Um, Got a couple of odds and ends here. One of these is like, the needs no conversation. It's just that I noticed it and it it hurts me to my core that Justin Pogge turned 35 today. Justin Pogge's Mm -hmm. 35 today, which obviously I guess makes sense. But that hurts me to my soul. I don't know if you have anything to say about that. But yeah, Justin Pogge will forever be the prospect that was supposed to be on Legends Row after a couple of Stanley Cup victories and a couple of Vesnas. But yeah, you know, that didn't exactly work out. I was... I'm a huge fan of goalies. I think that's pretty clear. I have been an apologist for some bad goalies, including Jonathan Bernier. I had a Vesotoskal Adalliance. I believed Gustafson was going to be a thing. Monster. Yeah. I've had some bad ones, all right? I never owned Justin Pogge stock. Really? And I was always Team Vesa. From the World Juniors, a game against Russia, 
Vesa had, where he had, I believe, over 40 saves. And I was so, so unbelievably excited. Well, where were you that on Tuka Rask, though? Sorry, that's what I meant to say. I, said, I, I was like, what Vesitoskala. are you talking about? Yeah. yeah. With Tuka Rask, he had a game with Finland against Russia in the World Juniors. And I yeah. can still remember the feeling I had of that guy is going to be the next Leaf superstar goaltender. When they traded him, I was devastated. I was apoplectic. I also never owned Andrew Raycroft stock. Sorry, Raycroft. I know that you come on the station a lot. Pogi, I was never a believer in. And... I think his biggest he I think he won a Spengler Cup for us, which is great. Yeah. But sweet. Yeah, I just didn't need that to close the show today. I didn't need to be reminded of that. 